What are we doing here? Why are we so messed up? And can it be fixed? I think if you talk to people, if you were that type of person who wants to find out what people are thinking, I know from my experience, these are the questions people ask. In the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, explains everything and gives us answers to these foundational issues of life. And what I want to do in this series is, is three weeks long. I, I can come at it from a, different, a, a bunch of different ways. One way would be to um, set up what we do a lot, the, the debate between evolution and creation. Is the science agree with the Bible? Uh, about a year ago, we did a series where we kind of set that up and we just discussed that science does indeed actually support the Bible better than it does evolution. So I could have come at it that way, and it's kind of a, I could do that from off the top of my head if I wanted to do that because I've had that discussion so often and taught that. Um, or I could just come and just give you like just a bunch of information that would blow your mind about all the different kinds of creation out there and the beauty of creation and the diversity of creation and intricacies of creation. And, and we actually did a series last year where we kind of did that, talking about the universe and all that kind of stuff. And so I could do those, and I chose not to. Because <laughs> here's what I want to do. These next three weeks, I want to take information from the first three chapters of God's Word, of Genesis. And I want to relate to you how I would or already have had a conversation with people who are asking those questions. So, uh, some of you guys obviously don't know me. Um, my name's Harold, and uh, I'm the campus pastor here. But I haven't always been a pastor. There's been times in my life where I was, had a real job, and then there's times when I've been a pastor. And I've got out of the pastorate, and I'd be going back into a real job. And then I, some people tell me don't to say that. Your job is a real job. Yeah, okay. It's just, it's a joke. But nobody today on this soggy day is laughing at it. So, you know, I'm going to try to do all I can to give you guys energy, because you're asleep already, I can tell. So, you know, most recently, prior to coming back to Ohio, we were in Colorado, and I worked in a school district. I was a facility manager at a high school and group lead of all the feeder schools. So I was other custodians. And um, I had questions brought to me. Sometimes I don't let people know I'm a pastor, because that can blow a conversation. But when I was a facility manager in this high school, um, I let people know I was a pastor, and I, just, I would blow their mind, because they just couldn't, they'd, they'd look at me and go, you're a pastor? And I'm kind of like, something wrong with what you're seeing here to be a pastor? Anyways, so... What I want to do is I want to take this information and I want to give it to you guys as I would if I was just sitting down in the break room, maybe a little bit more formal than that, but as I'm sitting in a break room, because when you're having a conversation with somebody about these things, you don't have a lot of time to flesh out a big debate, right? You know, how, how, 10, 15 minutes for break, I was nice, I gave my guys 30 minutes, you know, 30 minutes for lunch standing next to somebody, you know, on an assembly line or in a cubicle. You don't have a whole lot of time to talk. So I want to give these guys some information. 
So, and maybe you're here this morning, and this is going to be new for you. This is going to be something you maybe you haven't heard before. That's good, because I want to give you kind of the base where you can jump off and do your own research, because you have to be the one who does the research. Uh, you don't want to necessarily believe what I'm saying. You want to do the research. And if you're a Christian, I want to be able to provide you with the answers, because people are going to ask you questions before they ever come and sit in a service here at church, or me, you know, come talk to me and get, let me give them answers. So you guys need the answers as well. So this morning we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. It's uh, page 1 of uh, the Pew Bible there, so if you're using that Bible, it's actually page 1. Uh, I mean, you'll have to flip a few pages to get to page 1 because of all this stuff that tells you all kinds of stuff about the Bible. And we're going to look at two questions. We're going to answer one and then start answering the second, finish it up next week, part du. Um, that's two in French. Um, Genesis chapter 1, and, we're, and if you just bear with me, I'm going to read the entire chapter. I'll try to uh, make it as interesting as I possibly can. Um, I was going to do like a imitate a voice or something, but I'll just use my own. So it says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the waters. So, the sky. He made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. Just for a little interesting thing there, and you can search this out. Prior to the flood, there was no rain on the earth. There, it was kind of a, um, a rainforest type of thing where there was moisture, enough moisture being kept by um, kind of a protection, of water protection over the earth. Um, and then that broke loose during the time of the flood. But, so that's kind of what he's talking about there. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Um, I just lost the name of the thing, but there was a, there's an understanding or a belief that the, the earth as it is now wasn't what it was, that it was all one big landmass. And if you look at the continents, it looks like they kind of maybe fit together. And so there's people believe that with the flood, an earth, earth-wide flood, that, that could have broke things apart and moved things, and the, earth, the land is moving today still. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. There was the evening, there was morning, third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. 
God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night, and he made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, dinosaurs. People always want to know, what about the dinosaurs? What about dinosaurs? God created them. It's not a mystery. It's not a contradiction. Great sea monsters, every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them. So now he's doing something a little different here. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that has the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you. When man was first created, I hate to say this, meat lovers, but they were vegetarians. When they were first, you know, I know, really? Anyways, it happened. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the sky, and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for you for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So how, what are we doing here? How did we get here? What, what, what happened? Why are you sitting here? Why do you go through life? Why do we exist? Tells us Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. So how did we get here? God created us. And it's interesting, as you look through this, and I just want to kind of work through three points that come out of this thing. And again, there's a lot in here, okay? So I realize that. But I'm going to give you some starting points for you to then go and investigate. First one is God existed alone prior to creating earth. God, and we're going to talk more about this, but God is one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we baptize people, we do it a little different in the sense we baptize four to three times. You know, we're just, that's just the way we do it. You know? But we do it in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. God is one, but the Bible also teaches that there's three persons. And so, 
He existed in and of himself, complete, perfect, and in need of nothing. And people go, well, how long? Eternally, there was no time. There was no time created until God created the earth. So God was there. God was complete. God was enjoying and delighting in the fact of who he was because he was complete. He had no needs. He had no deficiencies. He didn't need you. He didn't need me. He didn't need the earth. He didn't need anything. Which then, the question is, why? We'll talk about that. Secondly, he created out of nothing, ex nihilo, nihilo. Um, You can go to the Greek to find out in Latin and all that kind of stuff, but it means out of nothing. So, as theologians say, say, God is the first cause. He caused everything. Nothing caused him, because he's always existed, but he caused the earth. He caused creation, the universe, all that we have. He's the all-powerful, all-creative, all-knowing, designer, and definer. He didn't take some gases or some material that also existed with him and form it. He spoke and created the very material out of which we are created. And what's in us is also in the ground. It's all interrelated that way. He created what we see and what we don't see. He's created what we've discovered and what we have not yet discovered. Did you know, did a little research here, and I was going to put up you know, the top six up on the screen, but I decided not to do that. Um, I have them if you want them. But that in 2017, there were 85 new species of plants and animals discovered. It's 27, well now it's 2018, but in 2017 they're still finding plants and animals they didn't know existed before. Like one was 350 feet in the water and they'd never found it before. God created that. You know, just kind of cool that there's still things being discovered, which, by the way, should tell you something. And again, still discovering after we who believe Scripture to be um, literal in this sense of actual days is probably only eight to 10,000 years old, which flies in the face, I know, of science that says it's millions. But again, there's issues there. And if you were to study it out, hear the other side, um, there's some issues with how they um, test the age of things. So God existed prior to earth, prior to creating earth. He created, therefore, then out of nothing, everything that we see, And then the third thing is that God created everything good. Everything he created was good. Now, it's interesting, because one of them we kind of probably get. The fact that it was good in the sense that it was perfect, right? If you know the story, Genesis 1 and 2, everything's perfect. Genesis 3, man sins, screws everything up, which we'll talk about, and how that impacted everything. But everything was good. It was perfect. It was right. Everything worked like it's supposed to work. There was no weeds. You know, there was no sickness. There was no something breaking and not working properly. There wasn't, you know, sore joints, knee replacements. You know, you see Mike walking around with his cane, two new knees, you know. It's going to be funny because when the Lord returns, he's gone. His knees are going to drop to the 
floor, which would be kind of funny to watch. I wish I could, hope I can see it on the way up. Whoa! You know, anyways, um, I'm sorry. But more importantly than that is this. Everything was good, and then very good, because God was creating a world, a universe, not just for him to enjoy, not just for him to look at and say, wow, you know, look at my handiwork. I mean, we do that, right? When we fix something, when we build something, we kind of step back and yeah, you know, not so bad. For me, it's like everything is good at 30 feet. You know, getting closer, you can see the mistakes, but you know, everything's good from 30 feet. So God's looking and saying, This is great. He didn't just do that for that. He did that because it's going to sustain his greatest creation, and that is mankind. I know the world is trying to tell us that we're not any better than a plant, or that we're not any better than an animal. But I'm telling you. We are unique and we're special, and God made this earth for us to be a part of and to be, and be sustained by. And it was good, because it was going to do exactly what it needed to do in order to sustain his greatest creation. And if I can just step ahead a couple of weeks, he did that knowing that we would screw it up and even knowing he would, we would screw it up, he provided the fix for it. It's awesome. It's crazy. This is not the God, by the way, that I think many people think of. So I was talking to a couple guys this week in my office, and I said, you know, just what do people say? How do people describe God? And one said he's a God of judgment, people think. And, and, and you know, he is. And he's a bloody God. That was the other word that one guy used. You know, you go through the Old Testament and God was doing, you know, judging nations. And so there's a lot, you know, bloodletting going on. Well, he's God and he knows what he's doing. He's right and he's just and all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, what we, we tend to do is we want to see justice done, right? If someone in your family was robbed or killed, I don't think you'd be going like, well, you know, take it easy on them. Don't, don't worry about that person that killed my family member. No, we want justice, right? We want to see that person, you know, arrested, put in jail at least, maybe even capital punishment. But when it comes to God, who is the creator, the designer, the definer, when he does it, we're all like, oh, that's not fair. You know, come on. Well, it's illogical for us to think that way. My point being is this. People focus in on that, but they forget this personal God who loves us so much that he created a world for us to enjoy. And not only that, the second point is this. Answering the question, what are we doing here? God created us to know him. And there's, there's two key phrases in verse 26 and 27 that help us know that. First of all, God says, let us, talk about that in a little bit, and, and man was created in God's image. So first of all, God speaks to himself. He says, let us make man. Prior to this, God said, let there be, right? And it happened. But when it comes to man, he says, let us make man in our image. 
So this is the first reference, by the way, to the doctrine of the Trinity, three in one. And if I could just do a little side note, Thursday nights, 7 o'clock, here at the church, we're going through a study called three in one, and it's a study of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So be here Thursday nights if you want, that's of interest to you. And we're kind of breaking that down and what, what that means. So God didn't create us because he needed us, right? We've already talked about that. He was complete in who he is. No need for anything. So why did he create? He created, and he created us specifically, so that we could enjoy him. Think about it. We, and again, we believe this is true, but if there's a God, which we do believe, who is perfect, who doesn't do anything wrong, who is a God of love, who will um, go ahead and, and, and reap judgment or justice on our behalf, so take care of issues for us when we feel like, hey, wait a second, that wasn't fair. God will take care of that. And when he does, everything he does is good, it's right, it's always for our best, he can take a bad situation and work it for good, Scripture says. He doesn't do anything wrong. What? I mean, who wouldn't want to have a relationship with a God like that? Right? Everyone's like, no, oh, I never really thought of it that way. No, I mean, that's the best thing going. And God knows that. He's not arrogant. Some people say, oh, that sounds kind of arrogant. He can't be arrogant. You can't be arrogant when you're right, especially in his case, right? He's right. He's the best thing going. And so he, he wants to share that. And yeah, you know, he creates some animals, he creates some plants, and it's all beautiful, and it's intricate, and it's diverse, and it's all that kind of stuff. But none of those things can relate back to him. So what he does is, I want to share myself with people who are going to appreciate it, and enjoy it, and, and, and find joy in who I am. And so he creates man, not out of a need for himself, but out of a need, or not a need, but a desire to share himself with us. And we who are born, if you were never born, you never had the opportunity to know this incredible God. But we're born. And so now we get the opportunity, if we're willing to seek out the truth and not be influenced by others, we have an opportunity to know this incredible God. And so, he creates us then in his image. And there's a lot in here. I'm going to break this down into three parts too. Image means like God, or in the likeness of God. We're not God, we won't become gods, but we are like him, and we're like him in three areas. The first one is this, we're like him in the attributes of personhood. I'm not even going to get into this conversation about animals, dogs, cats, pets, all that kind of stuff, okay? Because I've learned, stay away from that topic. I'll just say this, they are not created uniquely like you and I have been created by God with personhood. Which means this, we have intellect. We have the ability to think and to reason, to fix things, to work through problems. We have a, a will. We can make choices. We have free will, which, again, chapter 3. And we have emotion. 
We can love, we can hate, we can have compassion, we can grieve. All that God is, in an infinite scale, so when he loves, he loves infinitely. When he shows grace, giving us what we don't deserve, it's infinite. Paul says, your grace is sufficient. What he means by that is, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter what bad things you've done, God loves you so much, infinitely, that he's willing to forgive you infinitely whatever you've done. And then he's willing to not only do that, but give you himself. And when he gives you himself, he gives you all of himself infinitely. So when you need the ability to forgive somebody like he has forgiven you, there's that whole personhood, he gives you the infinite power you need to be able to forgive. When you need strength to do other things that he's called you to do, whatever it is, he's made us with personhood. We're unique. We're the only, only creation of his that has the ability to have a relationship with him. As we, if you were to read, I would encourage you, take time, read Genesis 1-3 through 3 this week. Just keep reading it over and over and over and over again. It takes about 20 minutes, maybe, maybe less. And um, it talks about God talking to Adam, having a conversation with Adam. Just some verses to kind of back this up. First of all, Romans 1.20 tells us that God has revealed himself in creation itself. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that we are without excuse. He's saying, people who say there is no God, you can't say that. Look at creation. Look at the intricacies of it. Look at the variety of it. Look how it works together, even though we have sin in it. Look how it works together like it should to provide what it should for mankind. That takes a designer, not chaos. Chaos only breeds further chaos, which typically breeds destruction. God allows us to know him personally. Jeremiah, out of the Old Testament, says this, Thus saith the Lord, so God speaking, says, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his strength, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Knows me. That's that's a, a relationship term. Not know, just know about, but knows him personally, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And Jesus himself says this, John 17, this is eternal life. So if you're sitting here thinking, what, what, what is afterlife? Well, the Bible teaches that there is an afterlife. There's two places, heaven or hell. And we're going to spend eternity in one of those places. So now Jesus is telling you and me, how do we get eternal life? This is eternal life that they may, what? Know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is not through a religious duty. It's not through religious ritual. It's not through some good do's and don'ts that we do or don't do. It's all about a relationship that we have, that we've been created for to have, with God through Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. Secondly, like him, we're like him in managing creation. If you look back at Genesis 1.26, it says, Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle. 
God has put us in a position of a manager. He's created it. We manage it. And not only does he want us to do that, but we also get to know how he must feel as the ultimate manager. But we're his stewards. We're his managers. He gives us what we have, and then we manage it for his glory and for his purposes. And then thirdly, we're like him in representing him to others. And this kind of pulls the two previous two ver- uh, points together. <clears throat> but we represent him to others. So number one, the fact that we have been made in the image of God that inherently gives us value. It gives all life value, but specifically human life. Some would say, well, you can't kill animals. Well, God's given us dominion and responsibility for animals. So yeah, we've got to care for them, but at times we will kill them. That's actually the best thing for the population at times, even. But for mankind, we're unique, we're special, we're valuable, because God created us with the ability to know him. That means the baby in the womb has value. That means the person with disabilities, no matter how severe, has value. That means that the older person who is a drain on the healthcare system, as some people say, euthanasia, they have value. Everyone has value, no matter who they are, what they are, where they come from, what their political position is. Everyone has value. And so we represent that. We represent them in the sense of being fruitful and multiply. Those of us who get married and have children, we're supposed to represent God to our children. Scripture teaches that over and over again. And as God cares for us and provides for us, we represent him and how we care for those under our responsibility. Home, church, work, whether humans or pets. I'm good to my pet. I just don't spend a lot of time with her. That's my family's responsibility. <laughs> I'm a delegator. So we're going to talk more about that whole representing God next week. But for us, what, we, what should we take away from Genesis 1 as it pertains to answering these basic questions? And so these are the things that I would be talking to a, a co-worker about or a neighbor about. And the first thing is this. You have to determine where you believe you came from. Okay, you have to do that. I can't help you with that. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm putting my faith and trust in, where I came from, and, and I'm literally betting my life on it. Okay? You have three choices. You're going to probably laugh at one of them, but it's an actual choice that people think we have. The first one is evolution. Eternally pre-existing gases, peacefully coexisting until something caused an explosion. That's the foundation, the basis of evolution. So you can be sitting here this morning, and you're going to talk to a friend or somebody at work, and you're going to say, hey, how do you think you got here? And they're going to say, well, I think the whole evolution thing. Okay, so, so I believe in eternally existing God. You believe in eternally existing gases. Something had to be present for this world to happen, right? Okay? So... Something was eternally pre-existing. Gases. Some logical truths that come from this. Your purpose for living. You have none. 
You can think you do, okay? <laughs> and man, today, without God, continually tries to come up with reasons why they have a purpose. But if that's the inherent, inborn who you are, that it was a mistake or a happen chance, random happening, you have no purpose except to survive. Because survival is of the fit, right? Which means death to the unfit. Now follow me on this. If you believe that, then abortion is okay. Genocide is okay. Murdering somebody is okay. All of that is okay. There's no moral law. There can't be a moral law that has been developed through some random act of something. Random chaos doesn't bring order. Moral law is order brought to chaos, which is something God does, by the way. So all that's okay. Why? Because that's survival of the fit. So we shouldn't be helping each other. We should be bumping off the weak because then we are stronger. Now, you talk to somebody on that level, they're going to be offended by that, right? Probably. So I wouldn't have this conversation with 10 people because then they're going to show you evolution at its finest and they're going to beat you down verbally, okay? And then you can be like, evolution, evolution. They're going, no, it's not. But that, again, that's the end result of evolution. The logical end result. The strong determine what's right and wrong. Moral law, protection of the weak, is not there. Second option is creation. By that, we mean an eternally pre-existing God who created everything in order to reveal himself to us. Scripture teaches us about a God who is personal, loving, just, holy, complete, all truth, can never tell a lie, everything he does is good. So if, we're, if that kind of God created us, then the purpose we have would be to find out from him what our purpose is, right? That makes sense? If a creator created us, we should be going, okay, hey, what are we doing here? We are, create, we are created with value. We are created for a purpose, and that purpose is to know who God is, to spend our life knowing this incredible God who created us. Something got in the way, Genesis 3, which we'll talk about. But all life has value. That's why we don't kill the weak. That's why we help the weak. That's why we help those that are in need. Not because we get anything out of it, but because that's what God did for us. And so then we represent him and do that for him. And then a little side note here, you can't combine evolution and creation like some people are trying to do. Unfortunately, there's a bunch of Christians who are trying to combine the two for whatever reasons. And there's a bunch of reasons why you can't, but number one is this. For evolution to happen, you have to have death, right? Survival of the fit, death of the unfit. So you have to have death. So if you're an evolutionist, that makes sense. Good to go with it. If you're a creationist, you know God created. We find out in Genesis 3 that sin 
caused death. So you can't have evolution and creation and put them together because for evolution to happen, even if God created the process of evolution, like some people are saying, or stepped in from time to time, there was still death happening. But death didn't happen until man was fully formed and living in the garden. And death came because of sin. So you can't combine the two just for that one main reason, not to mention a bunch of others. Third is aliens. Pre-existing life forms created mankind for an unknown purpose. You think this is funny? I've spent five minutes researching this. Stephen Hawking, by the way. Big alien guy. He's, he died, sadly. So he knows what well, we don't, what, the, what life is afterwards. If you're an evolutionist, you no longer exist and your body becomes dust. If you're a creationist, you spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And if you're an alien, or alien-created, you don't know. But Stephen Hawking, by the way, if, if, again, if you don't know him, uh, look him up. The, he's the, the greatest mind, they say, of the 20th century, whatever, physicist and all that kind of stuff. He has some interesting things to say. I would encourage you to look him up. But he says we shouldn't, we shouldn't contact him because we don't know what they might do to us. If they know that we have you know, evolved to this level, they might come back and take all of our resources. So, and again, sounds funny, but educated people believe this. And that's one of your options. So you can research it. I don't mean to sound like I'm making fun of it. Um, I apologize. But you have to research it. And I'm, I'm encouraging you to research it. Uh, <laughs> because, like I said, this life and the next depends on it. Okay? So I'm betting on Christ. I'm betting on God. So second, if there is a personal God who created you, then you owe it to him and to yourself to research it carefully. Don't depend on what I'm saying. Don't depend on You spend time researching it out, and I'm confident. I believe Scripture is truth, that it says, that Jesus said that it will lead you into all truth. If you're truly seeking for God, God will draw you to Christ, and you'll understand who he was and what he did for you. A couple guys who are now Christians who weren't before they did this honest research is Josh McDowell. Uh, he, wrote a, he wrote a bunch of books and have kind of condensed it now to evidence that demands a verdict. Lee Strobel, a case for a creator. He also does a case for faith, a case for Christ. He's done a lot of research. He's a, a news reporter um, previously. So they've done a bunch. They're, they were skeptics. They didn't believe in it. They were going to prove it wrong. Ended up realizing that it was correct. God's not afraid of your skepticism. God's not afraid of your questions. You and I should not be afraid of other people's questions. It'll just cause us to go back and find more answers, and that's good for us. But it always starts with faith. Everything does, including where we came from. And I just want to encourage you, if you're not part of our church, one of the things that we are working hard at doing is giving you the resources what you need to be able to study the Bible for yourself so that you can know who God is. So I would encourage you to be a part of our church. Come on Sundays. Uh, We've got a grow class starting next week at 9 o'clock in the morning. We have Bible studies Thursday nights, women's uh, third, fourth, Saturday of every month. Uh, information is at the information table. So, 
And let me just say one more thing as we close out, and that's to we who are Christians. We sitting here who have put our faith in Christ, we have that opportunity to know God intimately. And we have a responsibility because of the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross for us to take that seriously and spend time with him. Spend time in the Bible. Read it. That's God speaking to you. Spend time in prayer. That's you speaking back to God, asking God questions, reading it, studying it, knowing what that's all about, knowing who he is. And then from that and through that, to be able to share him with other people, to have these kind of conversations with people that you're working with. It's an incredible blessing that we have. We take it for granted way too often that we have an incredible God who loves us, who died for us, so that we can have that relationship established. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close. Next week, we're going to talk more about this personal relationship, God's purpose for us. As we look into Genesis 2, I'd encourage you to uh, spend some time um, reading that this week, and uh, we'll come back next week and, and do this again. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity of it. I thank you for the fact that you're not afraid of our questions, you're not afraid of our skepticism. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would, um, for those that are sitting here this morning who may not know you, that you would challenge them and encourage them to study you out. For us, Lord, who are Christians, that we would have the boldness and the, the uh, desire to sit with people and have conversations with them about who you are, and um, that we would share who you are, the, the logic that there has to be a designer for this creation. Lord, give us the ability to do that. Give us the opportunities. And we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for being here this morning. As you head out, represent him well.